So we're going to look at various passages. I'll be in Proverbs quite a lot, the book of Proverbs, Spreeken, Afrikaans, but not only Proverbs. I'm going to go to a number of different passages, so keep your sword ready. Uh, we're going to turn to those passages and read them together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll hear the Word of God. Tonight I'm preaching on finances, but particularly in marriage and family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come again in dependence upon you. We are needy creatures, needy men and women and boys and girls, and we need your grace, your power, your strength, your wisdom, O God. Also in this matter of family finances. And I pray that you would help us to understand and to learn from your word, but also then to teach the next generation and to teach those who are ignorant, who do not understand these matters, that you would give us grace and understanding and boldness and love and patience to instruct, but also humility to learn and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the United States... 90% of divorce cases, this is 2000 statistics, the year 2000, 2001. So I guess it, it uh, might not have changed, but 90%, in 90% of divorce cases, one of the greatest issues is money. Money. And I don't think South Africa would be different or the rest of the world would be different. Now, if every member of a family, the husband, the wife, uh, the children, if every member of the family thinks biblically about money, don't you think that would help to, to, to resolve issues, to sort out issues, and that fighting about money won't be an issue, really, because we all think biblically. So what is the biblical teaching about money? I'm going to give you um, a number of principles this evening. Number one, everything belongs to the Lord. Everything you own belongs to to the Lord. The average Christian thinks that he should give 10% of his money to the Lord and the rest of his salary, the rest of his money, he can spend it as he pleases. That is not biblical thinking. The truth is, everything you and I own belongs not to us, but to God. 1 Chronicles, in Kronika. So if you want to follow with me, you have to be fast. Because uh, there are a lot of passages. First Chronicles 29, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. <coughs> 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You're exalted as head above all. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, Lord, I and my people thank you for this privilege of of giving. Thank you that we are able to give willingly. And then he says, for all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Even the money you give to God comes from God. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8 says, the gold and the silver belongs to you, O Lord, or the gold and the silver are mine, declares the Lord. Psalm 24, 1, we just sang it. Or actually, uh, we sang the tune to it. That was Psalm 145. But what, Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth and its fullness belongs to you. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 50, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to? To the Lord, to God. 
And all the birds of the forest belong to you, Psalm 50, verse 10 and 11. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, where Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you brag? Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It comes from God in the first place. Who gives you and I the ability to get rich? 1 Chronicles 29, verse 12. <coughs> Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And it's in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. God gives us the ability to become rich. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 7 and 8, it says, or 17 and 18, Beware lest you say in your heart, so you come to the promised land, you've got all these riches, a land of milk and honey. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and might have gotten me this, these riches, this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He that gives you power to get wealth. God gives us the ability to make money. 1 Samuel 2 verse 7, I make poor, I make rich, says the Lord. You and I are just stewards. We're just the managers of God's money. And we, it's like you're, you're not the owner of the restaurant, you're just the manager. You just have to manage the owner's business. It's like that uh, parable that Jesus taught, the little story that Jesus taught of uh, the, the servants, where the master, the owner, he says, you get this amount of money, 20 t uh, uh, five talents, you get two talents, you get one talent. One talent is 20 years' salary. So this is a very rich man, and he says, you're going to manage the money for me. They don't own the money. It's not theirs, it's, it's the master's money. They just have to manage it, the same with us. And what happens then is when families forget that, when families start thinking, when husbands and wives and children start thinking, the money is my money. That's when they start fighting about money. That's when they start fighting, talking about the husband and wife will fight and say, yes, but my money and you take my money and this is my money and that is your money. And then they start all this nonsense and they forget that when a husband and wife come together, <coughs> when, when you enter into a marriage, the moment you, you enter into marriage, Genesis 4, I preached it last week, you become one. And so if you become one, there's no such thing as your money and my money. Yes, there can be pocket money, allowances and so on, but that's, this is nonsense. And then what you do is, like one man said, you care more about a stinking piece of paper with a buffalo on it or a leopard on it, that orange, that R200 document, or the R100 document, you care more about a stinking piece of paper than about a human being created in the image of God. And you fight your wife about money, you fight your husband, you fight your parents about money. So we start thinking all twisted. So do you want to avoid such, um, such things in your marriage, this fighting in your marriage about money? Then remember, everything you and I own belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. So you and I need to ask ourselves the question, how should I handle God's money? How should I manage God's money? What does the Bible say? How should I spend God's money? Second principle. Money is not everything. I remember many years ago, this was in the early 2000s, when an older lady said to me, not a Christian, but we were in a car in the Lowfelt, um, probably between, somewhere between Pilgrim's Rest and Sabi, or maybe Sabi and White River. But I remember this. I remember her saying to me, Money talks. Money talks. You, have, you simply have to have money. You have got to have money. 
Meaning not just you need money to survive, but meaning you must have lots of money. That's the thing that talks in this life. That's how the world thinks. The Bible teaches us money is not everything. There are many things in this life money cannot buy. Money cannot buy you God's Word. Yes, you can buy a Bible, but you cannot buy God's Word right into your heart so it settles in your heart. Psalm 119, verse 72, he says, Your word is more precious to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Or Psalm 19, Your word is more precious than gold, even much fine gold. Money cannot buy you a favorable outcome on the judgment day. If you would open your Bible to Proverbs and then stay there. Spreeka. Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. So your money is not going to help you on the judgment day. You can't bribe God and say, I can give you some money and then you let me off the hook. Money cannot buy peace in your family. Proverbs 15, Spreeka 15. Proverbs 15, verse 16. <clears throat> Better is a little, so little money, with a fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Someone said, lettuce and love is better than steak and strife. It's better to have vegetables, and there's love, and you don't have much to eat, and you haven't got a feast, but at least you've got each other, rather than having all the, this table just packed with food, and there's fighting all the time in this family. Chapter 17, Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel, drew a bruit, with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Money cannot buy a righteous life. Chapter 16, Proverbs 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. You rather want to be a righteous person, uh, a godly person, an obedient person, than you're so crooked and twisted, but you've got lots of money. Rather be righteous and poor than rich and twisted. Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. You can't buy wisdom if you have lots of money. You can be, you can be rich, but you, you're foolish. And then integrity, you can't buy that. Integriteit beteken, you have amper deersichtigheid, and mense kan nie lelike dinge in jou leven uitwees nie, as a oprechte persoon. You can't buy integrity, you can't buy a good reputation, you can't buy favor with money. Proverbs 19, <coughs> verse 1. <coughs> Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Proverbs 22, verse 1. 22. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Proverbs 28, verse 6. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. And then money can't buy you true friendship. Oh, you get lots of friends if you've got money. Suddenly you've got new friends you, you didn't know existed. So you've got all these friends, but they're not true friends. Lose your money, see what happens. You lose your friends. Proverbs 20, uh, 19 verse 4. 19 verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Verse 6 and 7. Many, seeks, many seek the favor of a generous man. Everyone's a friend to a man who gives gifts. Verse 7. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much 
more do his friends go far from you. Oh, you've got all these friends till you lose your money. Those aren't true friends. Money can't buy real friendship. Money cannot buy knowledge. Chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 15. There is gold in abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge is a precious jewel. You can't buy that knowledge, even if you've got lots of money. And then in the book of Ecclesiastes, the next book, Prediker, the next book, Prediker with stick faith, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in the Afrikaans verse 9, in the English verse 10. Prediker 5 verse 9, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. So if you've got money, what do you want? More. And if you've got more, what do you want? More. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. Skip down in the Afrikaans to verse 11, English verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So that's another thing man, money cannot buy you. You can be the richest person in this world that won't give you a good night's rest. Where the laborer, he works hard, he's sweating all day, or going at the spade or the pick or shoveling, and he's tired at night, he just falls asleep, he crashes, <laughs> and has a good, night, good night's rest. And then money cannot buy eternal life. Jesus said, what good is it for a man if you gain the whole world, you get the whole world for yourself, but you lose your soul? Luke chapter 12, the rich fool, where there's, there's this guy who builds bigger bonds on his farm and bigger bonds, groter and groter skeeter, and he's got all this wealth, and then God says to him, you fool, this night your soul will be taken from you. And all this money that you gather and all this wealth, all these riches, whose is it going to be? Money cannot buy you health. Yes, you can see the doctor, you can have a medical aid, won't buy you health. Look at that woman in Luke chapter 8. She spent all her money for 12 years. She spends all her money on doctors. And she keeps on bleeding and she can't solve the problem. She touches the hem of Jesus' robe. He cleared and immediately she's healed. Money cannot buy that. Money cannot buy you forgiveness. Money cannot buy salvation. In the book of Peter, it says, we are not bought, we are not purchased with things like silver and gold, but we are bought with the precious blood of the Lamb. So don't make more of money than you should. Don't make more of riches than you should, of wealth than you should, of all these possessions than you should. The moment money becomes an idol, the moment money becomes your God, like Matthew 6, uh, that Ruth read to us earlier, that you cannot serve God and money. The moment it becomes an idol, a God to you, you destroy your life. You destroy your relationship with the Lord. You destroy your marriage. You destroy your family. You destroy your children. So what I'm trying to tell you is, and this is true of almost anything in life, <coughs> but let's apply it to money. Money is a very good slave, but it's a very bad master. So don't allow money to, to take root in your heart. Don't allow money to get a hold of your heart. It is not worth it to destroy your family, to destroy your marriage for something that's just going to end in the junkyard, that's just going to end on the dump. Uh, Randy Alcorn gives this very powerful object lesson. He actually encourages parents to take their children to the dump. Take them to the dump and let them see broken Christmas presents, Broken birthday presents, computers, um, laptops, old CD players, 
toys. You've got all these possessions. And you look at those things, you look at the junk, and you see, can you believe it? That people got divorced over those stuff. People fought. Friendships were broken. Brothers and sisters were angry at one another because they fought about the junk. That is now junk. It wasn't junk then, but it it just ends on the dump. If you live for money, you will end a miserable old man or woman. You will lie on your deathbed. Maybe you'll be a very rich person. You've got lots of money. But I can almost guarantee you, if you make an idol of money, it'll probably break up your marriage. Or you'll have a very miserable marriage. It will probably just estrange your children from you. They have no relationship with you. Why? Because you didn't have time for them. You just had time to chase money. Wouldn't it be so much better to lie on your deathbed and there you have, maybe you don't have a lot of money, maybe you're a poor man or a poor woman, but there you are lying on your deathbed and you have a husband or a wife that loves you, children who love you, and then who are sad to see you go. And won't it be even better to lie on your deathbed, you don't have much, you have your family, and you know we'll be together again soon. We'll meet in heaven. Third principle. <coughs> be careful of the dangers of money. You know, people have the saying, they say, Money is the root of all evil. Is that true? It's not true. It's not even in the Bible. They misquote a Bible verse. Money is not the root of all evil. God is not against money. It's a gift from God. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. Or Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, where it says that wealth comes from the Lord, Uh, Let me read the verse, 10.22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it, or no sorrow to it. So it's the blessing of the Lord that gives these things to us. And there are many, many characters in the Bible, devoted believers who were rich people. Abraham was rich, Isaac was rich, King David was rich, Job was rich. Uh, The women in in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3, these were rich women, they... they, um, supported Jesus' ministry. Or you get Lydia in the book of Acts, chapter 16. She was a rich woman. She sold purple goods. So God is not against (coughs) riches. Joseph of Arimathea, he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was a rich man. So so the, the quote doesn't go, money is the root of all evil. The correct quote is, the love of money is the root of all evil. If you start chasing money, if money becomes your idol, that is what leads, that is sin, and it leads to many other sins. Let me just read to you from the book of Timothy. (coughs) 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. (coughs) Excuse me. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Jy bring vir yourself baie drama. As geld vir jou afgod word, jy begin geld jaag. So, let me give you a couple of examples, illustrations of this. So, if you start chasing money, 
And it leads to many other sins, he says. It's the root of all kinds of evil. For instance, you start chasing money, where do you go? You go to emperor's palace. And I know of a case like this of a man, a man, a husband and wife, and they had major problems in their marriage. And one of the great causes, not the only, but one of the causes of their problems was the love of money. So this husband would get his salary, he would go to the casino. It's like a day, the day he gets his salary or two or three days after, he blows his whole salary on gambling. And then he hasn't got money to take care of his wife and children. Proverbs 28 verse 20, Solomon says, <coughs> A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. You chase money. As jy haastig is om reik te word, jy sal nie ongestraf blijn. Dit sê die vers vir ons. And then dishonest business. That's another thing. You chase money, another sin that sprouts from that, you, you start getting dishonest, you start stealing. Proverbs 15 verse 27. Solomon writes, Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. As dit vir jou is waar het gaan, jy is oneerlik met bezigheid, jy gaan moelies maak in jou huis. Dis wat hy sê. I know of a case like that of a man. Also, it led to marriage problems. So over a period of some years, he stole from his, from his employer. His employer didn't know, or actually he stole uh, from the company, and it was very, very smart way of thinking, clever. Muslim Fongsei boss, in how he stole the money every month, every month, every month. And after some years, they found this. And they caught the guy. He lost his job. He lost his house. He almost went to jail. Thankfully, he didn't. But lost his job, lost his house, and it caused great problems in his marriage. You chase money, another thing that will happen, you'll start working. In, in a way that is just looking for more, looking for more, you start spending all your time at work, all your time at work, putting in overtime, more overtime, more overtime. Thank you, Timothy. And you spend all your time at work and you have no time for your children, no time for your wife or no time for your husband. And again, that's going to lead to marriage problems. I know a man like that. This guy was chasing money he said money was absolutely his idol to the extent that the guy just above him, and he was working in Europe all the time, he earned 80 million rand a year. And this guy started chasing this dream, and his marriage broke up because he's chasing money, he's at work all the time, never home. And then what happens? You chase money, you start living above your means. You live actually above what you can really afford. So Proverbs 12 verse 9 and 13 verse 7 speaks of someone who's poor but he lives like a rich man. He hasn't got the money, but there's all these debt. I have to have the smartest cars and the nicest house in the nicest neighborhood. A friend of mine told me about a man he knows, um, a man in his church that did this. And he went to talk to the man that the man uh, didn't really, he wasn't very happy when my friend spoke to him, but my friend said to him, you, in all this debt, you can't afford this kind of car. You can't afford these nice cars and motorbikes and so on, but the, the guy, he wanted to keep up with the Joneses. So what's the solution to greed, to chasing money? The solution is to remember, you will not take one cent with you when you die. 
You come into the world with nothing, you're going to leave this world with nothing. 1 Timothy 6 verse 7. Or Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 7, when the wicked dies, his expectation of wealth perishes too. So he's got this dream of wealth that's going to die with him. You don't take anything to the grave with you. Psalm, 40, Psalm 49, Afrikaans is verse 18. I guess the English must be um, verse 17, I think. So if this is so, if you're not going to take anything with you when you die, why, why spend all your energy on chasing money? Why spend all your life on chasing money? Why not rather use your money wisely to take care of your family, to support gospel work, the, the spread of the gospel, the spreading of God's kingdom, missions, to help poor believers, uh, to lay treasure in heaven in this way. Jesus said, gather for yourselves purses in heaven, treasures in heaven. Luke 12, 33, by supporting poor believers, or Philippians 4, verse 17, Paul says, you supporting me as a missionary, you are actually, this is uh, put to your name, God is going to reward you. Or 1 Timothy 6, verse 18 and 19, speaks to rich Christians. And says, uh, uh, Paul says, use your money to lay a sure foundation to lay up treasure in heaven. That's what you're looking for. Do good. That's why God makes people rich, right? God doesn't make you rich so you can upgrade your car. God doesn't make you rich so you can get more for yourself and you can live in more luxury. God makes people rich so you can get Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9 to 11. Verse 11 especially, where Paul says, if God enriches you, if God gives more, it's so you can give more, so that you can serve more with the money God gives you. John Piper, quote, God doesn't prosper a man's business so he can move from a Ford to a Cadillac. Or, I wanted to say Toyota, Ma. <laughs> God prospers a business so that thousands of unreached peoples can be reached with the gospel. He prospers a business so that 20% of the world's population can move a step back from the precipice of starvation. 20% of the world's population, they're close to starvation. That's why God gives you riches, so we can support and help. Not so we can sit in ease and upgrade ourselves. All right, so that's clear. Don't be greedy. Another sin that we should avoid when it comes to money, Rulf read this, that was the second part. Don't be anxious about money. Many Christians don't know this, but it is actually a sin to be anxious because Jesus commands us, you read in Matthew 6, do not be anxious about money. About, we shouldn't be anxious about anything, but there, don't be anxious about money. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Am I going to survive? What about tomorrow? Will there be enough? Will there be enough when, when they tell me, okay, you're done now, you can't work anymore, you have to retire, will there be enough? It's sin, because we don't trust God. And when you start becoming anxious about money, where do you look? Many people, if, the, if you're anxious about money, you look to the bank manager. You look to FNB or APSA or NetBank, and you say, I need to take a loan. Can I borrow money from the bank? Instead of looking to the Lord. <coughs> So what happens very often is people go into debt they can't afford. So they've got all this debt, they can't afford it, and then the moment you go into debt, you become a slave of the person from whom you borrow the money. Proverbs 22, verse 7. 
The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. And 1 Corinthians 7 verse 23 says to Christians, we should be slaves of no one. Let me give an example of this. So you in a lot of debt with the bank. Someone says, happy birthday, surprise. We got the surprise birthday for you, and you get many gifts, and someone gives you a cash gift of 10,000 rand. It's not yours. You have to give it to the bank. So it just passes through your fingers to the bank because you owe the bank. You're in debt. So you see, you become a slave. You can't use that money. You have to give it away immediately. <clears throat> so how do, you, how do you overcome the scourge? How do you become, overcome this curse of going into debt? One of the first things is simply refuse to pay someone else's debt. Don't sign that paper. Uh, that paper. Axel Borg stand for you. Don't do that. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1 to 5 warns you and say, do not be a surety for someone. On Borg to stand. Let me read another verse. Proverbs 11, verse 5. <coughs> the righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight. No, that is the wrong. Verse 15. 11, verse 15. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. He who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. Don't shake on it. Don't shake hands. Yes, I will pay your debt if you can't pay. I will pay for your house or your car if you can't do that. And you think the guy's going to pay. Proverbs 22, verse 26 and 27 say, don't, it says, don't do that. Why should your bed be taken from under you? The sheriff will come or the banker's going to come. They're going to take, they strip you of all your stuff. They take everything away from you because that guy can't pay. That is a stupid thing to do. Don't do that. An older man told me this. He said he stood surety for one of his children. And the guy said, please, Dad, I need to start this business. Will you sign the paper and just promise to help me? But don't, nothing will happen. Don't worry, Dad. And something did happen. That father had to take all his savings all his pension money and give it like that to the bank because the son couldn't pay. And then the father wrote an article about a year later, I don't know exactly how, how much later, but after that the father wrote an article from these verses in Proverbs saying, never do this. And he warned other people not to make the mistake he made. And shortly after that, I don't know if you remember Deirdre, uh, we went to visit my parents, and as we drove into their, uh, the sem where they stayed, the seminary, my phone rang, and this was a poor man, a guy who hasn't got lots of money, and he said, hey, I can't remember, did he want to buy a car? I think so. He said, I want to buy this car. Please, can you stand surety for me? Can you promise to pay the debt if I can't? But don't wa-? And I said, no, <laughs> no, no. Even though I would like to help you in some way, the Bible forbids me. God tells me, not, I should not do that. So I cannot do that. Now some of you are already in debt. And maybe you're in lots of debt. And you owe money. Uh, what does the Bible command about that? Romans 13 verse 6 and 7. Owe to, uh, pay to everyone what you owe them. So you pay that as quickly as possible. You close all accounts. You don't have an account at Woolworths or Truworths. Sorry Woolies and Tru- Truworths. You don't have accounts or an account that builders or an account, and you buy things, and it's actually you're making debt. Don't do that. 
Don't do that. Close those accounts. Cut your credit card in half if it tempts you to go into debt. And don't have a, a credit card account. And then once you've done those things, do not go into debt again. Romans 13 verse 8, owe no one anything. So pay that and let it be something of the past. And then also be thankful. Be thankful and say thank you to the Lord for what He gives you. Thank Him for what He supplies and what He provides for you. Because when we go into debt, very often we aren't content. We aren't happy. We aren't thankful for what we have. We say, I only have this. Why don't I have that? And then we go into debt to get things that God hasn't given us. And we say, if God doesn't give it to me, I'll make a plan. I'll ask the bank to give it to me. And then we go and purchase those things that we actually cannot afford. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, I know what it is to have too little and too much, but I've also learned the secret of being content, of being thankful, saying, God has given me this, I'm content. Ek is tevrede met dit, ek is vergenoeg. And it's possible, it's possible to survive with less. You don't have to survive with this kind of salary or even this. It's possible to say, you know, I only have this. But you can survive and trust the Lord that He will provide. Uh, many of us know this verse, where it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But we don't know the context. Some of us don't know the context. The context is, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Heere sal vir jou sorg vertrouw om. Is dit nie wat Philippians 4 vers 13 beteken nie? We all know Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is the context? The context is, I can be content with what I have. And God will give me strength. Principle number four, budget. Budget. <coughs> I remember hearing this in a sermon, oh, must have been about 18, 17 years ago. And the guy said, when couples have marriage problems and they come for marriage counseling, he says, can I see your budget, please? <laughs> My budget, yes. I want to see where your treasure is and where your heart is. Because the way you spend your money will show what's really important to you. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So look at your own budget. Just, just think of the way you spend your money. Where is your heart? What is most important to you? What do you spend your money on? That's going to tell you what's important to you. What God wants you to do is to budget in such a way and to maybe even change your budget in such a way that it will come into line with His Word, into line with the, with the Bible. So what is, what is God's priorities when it comes to budgeting? First is take care of your family. Take care of your family, your immediate family, your chassin in Afrikaans, nuclear, is it nuclear family? And then also if there are other family members struggling financially, you help them. Jesus says it is hypocritical, the skeinelech, you're a hypocrite. If you say to your mom and dad, who are old people in an old age home or maybe living, sorry mom, sorry dad, I can't support you, uh, this money is, I need to give it to the church. That is a hypocrite that does that. Jesus says, number one, you support your parents who can't support themselves, or you take care of your own family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
verse 8. If you don't take care of your, your family, especially your immediate family, you've denied the faith, you're worse than an unbeliever. Even unbelievers take care of their families. So take care of your family, number one. I'm not saying you should support those lazy family members. So your brother's too lazy to work, or uh, your son is too lazy to work. Don't support them. If you will not work, you will not eat. Or if they, they're wasting their money on sin, they're wasting their money on alcohol, don't support them. It says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 3, it speaks of a, a son wasting his father's money on prostitutes. Don't support them. All right, so your family first. Second, you support God's work. You support missions. You support poor believers. You support, um, actually, you, you support the church, and you pray for your elders, and you trust your elders, and if you think they're not doing this right, then you go and talk to them. But you trust the leaders of the church to dispense the money in a biblical way, supporting the missionaries, the poor believers, and paying the spiritual leaders. As Scripture says, I've got a lot of references here, but you can check them, or maybe if you're English-speaking, ask, ask me for them, I can give them to you. And if you, if you do that, you support God's work, God will reward you. That's just a biblical principle. You read it. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. God will give what you need. Luke chapter um, 6, verse 38. I read that two weeks ago, where God just fills your basket and He presses down to add more and add more and it runs over. <coughs> it just overflows. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. That's a biblical principle of giving. It shouldn't be the goal, I want to get more. <laughs> That's prosperity gospel. No. But if you give for the... the uh, for God's work and the extension of the kingdom and the extension of uh, the gospel through missions. And my God will supply in all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. Now please don't say, please don't say, you know, I can't afford to give for God's work. I can't afford to give to the church. I can't afford to give to missions or to poor believers, but you buy 2,000 rands worth of tackies for your child because, no, they need that for their sport. I can't afford to give for God's work, but you spend 1,500 rand a month on cell phones. I can't, I can't afford to give, but you've got DSTV. That's upside-down priorities. And then in your budget also, God's priorities next would be, so first, supporting your family, second, the Lord's work, and then third, pay the rest of your expenses, whether you've got debt and you need to pay that off, or your car payment, or your house payment, or your rent for your house, or diesel or petrol, water and lights, school fees for your children, maybe your kids do sport, or uh, you need internet, or cell phones, or computers, or birthdays, or whatever. You know what it's in what you need to budget. And I think planning that, really putting pen on paper, my wife and I do this every month. We've been doing this for a year. We've got a budget book and we write down, this is the income, these are the expenses. And we write down every month and then we tick it off, right? This is paid, this is paid. Um, and then through the month, throughout the month, I go back to the budget, back to the bank and say, right, are we on par? Uh, are we not using the money wisely as we ought? That's just a biblical principle. You remember when Jesus said, so this guy, he builds a tower, but he didn't budget. 
He didn't sit and say, right, have I got enough money? Have I got the material? He just starts building. And then the tower stops halfway and everyone laughs. And this guy didn't have the money to finish. Why do you start something you don't finish? So a biblical principle, I know it's not about budgeting in that passage. <coughs> it's about discipleship, but it's a biblical principle. Plan, budget, do a monthly budget. And that's going to start helping you to see, where's my money going? Where am I losing money? Why am I losing money? And it might even help you to save money. Let me give you a, a story about this. So I know a man, him and his wife, the budget started, started getting a bit tight. And so the husband said, him and his wife said, where's the money going? And so they started keeping slips of everything they buy. Now this is a man after my heart, but not after my heart. Because it went on chocolate. The guy, the guy right next to his work, there's a shop. And every lunchtime he would go there and just buy or, or tea time, break times, coffee breaks, he would go and buy chocolate. Not realizing he's spending 1,500 rand a month on chocolate. And then they saw, this is where the money's going. So you see, budgeting and also keeping record of finances help. It helps. And <coughs> Someone who, who plans diligently, well, he, his money goes a lot further. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. You just make snap dash, slap dash decisions, you're going to waste money and lose money. But you plan diligently, can we do this? Can't we do this this month? Should we do this? Then your money is stretched a bit and you, <coughs> you get further. And if you do this right, what's going to happen is your expenditures, your eight harvests, won't exceed your income if you, if you budget in a wise manner and in the right way. If you look at your budget and you see, I'm spending more than I'm earning, I'm giving out more than I'm getting in, well, then you need to cut somewhere on expenses. Or you need to increase your income. So I need to getting more money to be able to pay this. How do you do this? I'm going to break down <coughs> some principles for you here and some suggestions that I got from Wayne Mack. The examples are my, are my own examples. The principles are his. So you go through your budget and you see, do we really need this? Do our children need to have music lesson? Is it necessary to pay for this? Or you go through the budget and you see, this is a luxury. Do we need to buy Coca-Cola, a whole crate of Coke every month, or two crates of Coke? Uh, Proverbs 21 verse 17 says, if you love oil and wine, you won't be rich. Or is there something in your budget, it's just tempting you to sin. You're buying alcohol, you're buying cigarettes. It says in Proverbs <coughs> 23 verse 20 and 21, if you're friends of drunkards, you're going to be poor. Because you're spending your money on alcohol. It's tempting you to sin. I'm not saying everyone who buys wine is tempted to get drunk, but most often it is the case. The case, pun intended. The crate. <laughs> <coughs> or is there something in your budget you can buy less of that? You don't need so much coffee. You don't need to drink 12 cups of coffee a day or 10 cups. Cut down on that. Maybe you can buy at a cheaper shop. You don't need to buy your clothes at Truewiz or Woolworths. You can buy your clothes at Ackermans or Pip. You don't need to buy at Pick and Pay. You can, buy, you can go to ShopRite. Maybe you can buy a cheaper item. You don't need Tastic. Checkers brand will do. It's a bit cheaper. 
Maybe you can plant your own vegetables instead of buying vegetables. Maybe you can say, I can work in my own house. I don't need someone, I don't need to pay someone to clean the house for me. I don't need to pay someone to work in my garden. I can do that. I don't need to pay someone to get my car serviced. I can do it myself or I can learn. Someone can teach me to do it. Maybe you can buy an item with someone else. You don't need to buy a lawnmower and your brother-in-law buys a lawnmower. Why not go offies and say, you pay off, I pay off, you use the lawnmower on Saturday mornings, I'll use it Saturday afternoons. Maybe look for an extra job and say, hey, I can, I've got a full-time work, 8 to 5, Monday to Friday. I can apply for another job on Saturdays and earn some extra income. Now just make sure if you apply for an extra job, don't let it take you away from the Lord, your relationship with the Lord, your involvement in church, away from your family. What about praying? Saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going to talk to my boss about a salary increase, about a raise. Please help me. And you go gently and you go calmly and you say, Sir or ma'am, please, I'm really struggling financially. I've worked for the company for so long. And then you must be sure you're a diligent worker and a hard worker. You're loyal. And then maybe ask for an increase. Or maybe get the family to help. My wife helps us financially. She bakes rusks. She sells them. Some of you make clothes. You sell it. Maybe the kids, if they're old enough, Nicole's turning 16 this week, and so then we can take her to a restaurant and say, can she be a waiter here? Okay. Not that we need a waiter for extra income. Uh, just an example. Maybe there's something in your house you can sell. So you've got this. Look at this. Why have we got two weed eaters? Or look at this. Deirdre and I at a stage, we, have, we had an extra freezer and an extra fridge. But we, uh, standing in the garage. Why have we got this? Sell it. You don't need it. So sell those extra items. Maybe you've got an extra car. Sell it. Um, look for a job that pays more. Apply for a job. Isn't there something you can find that pays more? And then swallow your pride. Go to a Christian brother or sister who knows how to work with money. And then you ask them for counsel. Can you give me advice how to work with my money? And then finally, you pray about the matter. You take it to the Lord and you trust God will answer. You pray, give us this day our daily bread. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful. Or if you ask for wisdom, God will give it. You've got all those verses. God is your father, right? You are his child. Ruth, you prayed it in the prayer meeting that God will give to his children what they need. And then God also rewards hard work and diligent planning. Proverbs 14, verse 23, In all toil there is profit, in all labor there is profit, in all work there is profit. But if you just talk, you're going to be poor. So don't just talk. Work. And then also in Proverbs 16, verse 3, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And then finally, number five, work as a team. So there's the story of Jay Adams. Jay Adams is a biblical counselor and a husband and wife come to him. They've got major marriage problems <coughs> because of one issue. But actually it's more than one issue. But there's this one issue. The wife is bitter toward her husband. She hasn't told her husband. Months and months and months, she's been building up and building up, getting more and more angry. Why? Because the husband works overtime, and he's getting this money overtime, and she never sees the money. And she says, so the counselor says, what's the issue? What's the problem? And she says to the counselor, she says, my husband's stealing money. He's been working overtime. He's getting all this overtime. I never see the money. It disappears. 
And the husband, the counselor turns to the husband and says, what have you got to say about this? The husband takes out his purse. There's a secret pocket, a secret pocket in his purse. He takes out all the money, slaps it on the table, dashes it on the table and says, there's all the money. I haven't stolen it. I've been saving up for our wedding anniversary. So you see the issue. It's not wrong of the husband to want to surprise his wife and do something nice and buy her a gift or whatever. It wasn't wrong. The problem in that marriage is they're not communicating. They communicate so badly she doesn't trust her husband when it comes to issues like that. She should have asked him and not become bitter, and he should have spoken to her and say, don't worry, I'm getting this over time. I've got a surprise for you. But they're not communicating. So what I'm trying to say is be open in your marriage. Be open in your marriage about your budget. Don't hide your PIN code. Why do husbands and wives, my wife doesn't know the PIN code. My husband doesn't know the PIN code. Why do you hide that? Why aren't you open? Don't hide money from your husband. Don't hide money from your, from your wife. You should know, the wife and the husband, what is going on in the budget. And then please, don't, don't go and you, you have great expenses. It is a transaction. You buy a townhouse. And your wife said, what? You bought a townhouse? At least discuss the issue. Talk through the issue. Work as a team. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper. A husband and wife is a team. You should work as a team. And remember, you are one. As I said just now, Genesis 2 verse 24. They shall become one flesh. So who does the money belong to? Well, first of all, God. And second of all, it belongs to both of you. Even if the husband works eight hours a day, and the wife maybe is a housewife. I bet you, in many cases, the wife works harder than the husband. Even if she doesn't get paid for it. But the money belongs to both. So you, as husband and wife, you sit together, you one in marriage, and you discuss the issue. And you talk through it saying, how should we use our money? Now the question comes, what if we don't agree? Well, then you give yourself to prayer in the Word. You pray about the issue. You go to the Bible. What does Scripture say? And if you still can't agree, you go to a mature Christian and you say, what would you do in this, um, in this matter? <coughs> Can we ask you for counsel? And if you still don't agree, then the husband must make the final decision. The husband takes the final decision. He's the head of the home, and God's going to hold him responsible for that. If you mess up, husband, with that decision, God's going to hold you responsible for that and he won't accept your excuses. When you say, yes, but my wife. No, not but my wife. Adam, who told you? Who said to you? Why did you? Even though Eve was also guilty, why did you not take responsibility? It's almost like the, the owner of a ship. If the captain of that ship crashes, or let's say one of the sailors, he takes over the wheel, he crashes the ship on the rocks. Even if the sailor's guilty, the owner of the ship's going to come to the skipper, to the captain, and say, why did you? You are responsible. I'm asking a reckoning from you. Now, some husbands will say, yes, but I told my wife not to spend the money that way, and she won't listen to me. You remain responsible as the husband. Even if you're not guilty, you remain responsible. And what you should do in a case like that, you talk to your wife, she won't listen when it comes to the money, to the credit card, swiping left and right. I told you not to swipe left and right, she won't listen to what I tell her. Well, then you apply Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. You go to your wife, you talk to her about it, she's 
not submitting to you. If she won't listen, you get one or two witnesses. You bring another a brother or sister from the church. You talk to her. If she won't listen, then you tell her to the church. And if she still won't listen to the church, then she's removed from church membership. She's treated as an unbeliever. That's the teaching of Scripture. So, you've heard all of this. And maybe the Holy Spirit this evening has convicted you of sin. Maybe the Holy Spirit has shown you, you have got a wrong attitude toward money. You've got a wrong way of thinking about money and about budgeting and about your own finances. <coughs> Let me just help you and say this. Before you change anything, before you change anything, you must get your priorities in order. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then God will give what you need. He will give what you need. So how do you seek the kingdom? How do you seek God's righteousness? I think it's rather obvious. If you want to seek the kingdom, you must find the king. You find the one who can give eternal riches to those who repent of their sins and trust in Him. You know that Christ, although he was rich, became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. He gives spiritual riches, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. So you find that, you trust in Christ as your Savior. You believe that the Father, God the Father, will accept the perfect life of his Son in your place, the death of his Son in your place. And then you acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And acknowledging Jesus as Lord means you acknowledge him as Lord in all of life also when it comes to personal finance. You don't call Jesus your Lord, but no, he's not in charge of your money because you use the money in the way that pleases you. You use your money in a way that is not pleasing to him. Then you shouldn't call him Lord. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So let me ask you, if you look at your budget, what does it say? Who is Lord of your life? Jesus or you? Are you the master of your finance? Let me close with this illustration. We had a treasurer in this church at Tesuri many years ago, but he didn't do the job well. For a whole year, tax wasn't paid. And I don't know how to do belasting in Kerkeny, or how my salary belasting was reconnected. But tax wasn't paid for a whole year. And eventually we got another treasurer, and this other treasurer, the new guy, that guy, within three months, the finances were all in order, church finances. You could wake that guy up at three in the morning, and he could tell you exactly what's going on in the church he, finances. He was an excellent treasurer. So what's the point I'm trying to make? Do you want your own finances in order, if they're not in order, if they're not sorted? If you want your own finances in order, ask for a new treasurer. Ask Jesus to be the treasurer of your house and your personal finances. And then you use your money the way Jesus tells you to, in his word. And if that happens, what's going to become of fighting about money in your house? in your marriage. It's going to be sorted out. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us as your children. Lord, we do have financial issues. All of us sometimes 
some more, some less, some arguments about money, some maybe irritation. And we ask that you would forgive us our sins where we haven't used our money well or where we've sinned in our attitude toward money, either by being anxious or greedy or going into debt we can't afford. And I pray that you would forgive us and that you would help us where we've really messed up, maybe. Please help us, Father. Please help us and help us to change and to come into line with your word and to live obediently also in this matter. In Jesus' name, amen.